Bible study and our Bible reading and our living out what you would have us to do in our lives. We just pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we'd gone through the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 5. And if you remember the story, it's the story about Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were uh, two people that had followed Barnabas in um, uh, giving some money to the apostles, to the church there. But they lied about it. And Barnabas had given money, and you see it in chapter 4, where it says in verse 37, having land, sold it, brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. So they probably saw that. And it affected Ananias and Sapphira to the point that they decided, hey, we want some of that limelight on us. So they go and they sell the property. They, they say, we sold it for this much, but they lied. And it says they lied to God, lied to the Holy Ghost. And then, you know, Peter questions them. Ananias confirms the lie. And man, he drops dead. So, and I have to tell you all this because of what we're getting into. So, Ananias, so Sapphira comes in after they buried her husband and... You know, she's wondering what's going on. Well, uh, he confirms the lie with her. She repeats the lie. Boom, she falls dead. She falls down dead. Now, I will just tell you this. I don't have that power. I don't want that power. I don't want that responsibility. But the Holy Ghost still has it. God still has it. So God knows whatever you do, whatever you think, whatever you're thinking, what you should think or not think. God knows all that. The, the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharp than any two-edged sword, piercing into the dividing of the Son of soul and spirit, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So it knows your thoughts, it knows your intents, even today. So now, after all that goes on, and they buried those two, we're in verse 12, and the, the scenario keeps, keeps on. It says in verse 12, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, laid them on beds, couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about into Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Now, I don't have that power either. My shadow isn't going to help you. I don't even cast a big shadow. Well, it's much smaller now. I was thinking vertically, but also horizontally. Uh, Girth. It's, it's getting less and less and less. I can actually button my jacket. I'm up here sometimes and we're singing. Judy's like, button that jacket. You know, she wants, she wants you all to see uh, how good a work she's doing there to, to slim me down. Um, but notice verse 12 says this, But by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. It was the hands of the apostles. They were the ones doing these miracles. That's why many people today claim to be an apostle and claim to have seen Jesus because they think Acts says you have to be a witness of Jesus being resurrected. It's a witness of the resurrection, meaning you witness, you talk, you preach about the resurrection. 
Not that you saw the resurrection. But they do that because of this. They say, well, i got to be an apostle if I'm going to do these signs and wonders. But that's not true. First of all, none of the apostles was replaced except for Judas Iscariot. We've already studied that. The other 12 are going to sit on 12 thrones. The reason that Judas was replaced with Matthias is because there's 12 thrones in heaven that the 12 apostles will sit on, and there's only 11. So Judas has to be replaced. That's why. So let's look at this thing on the signs of an apostle. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's define, first of all, that what the apostles were doing was told about in the Scripture. In verse 12. Well, first of, all, after, first of all, the whole context of verse 12 is found in verse 7, or, or I'm sorry, chapter 12 is found in verse 7, about the thorn in the flesh. Paul prayed in verse 8 three times, thrice, that it might depart from me. And God says to him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And then he goes on and he talks about being an apostle. Verse 12, though, is what I want you to see. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. (coughs) So what is it? that's going on with these apostles, it's called the signs of an apostle. That means I don't have these signs. These signs aren't in existence after the first century. When the word of God is complete, that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. 1 Corinthians 13. Tongues shall cease. Knowledge shall, shall, shall vanish away. Well, people say, well, wait a minute. Knowledge didn't stop. The knowledge that Peter had about Ananias and Sapphira lying to him, that's supernatural knowledge given to him directly by God. So that knowledge, that ability to know things that aren't naturally known, I don't have that. I can have insight, but I can be wrong. You have this knowledge that vanished away in the first century that the apostles had. It it was supernatural. So that's the signs of an apostle. These signs and wonders are done. Now turn to Mark chapter 16. Let's define some of these, um, some of these signs and wonders. So in Mark chapter 16, you first of all, when you're reading your Bible, you start in verse 14. What does it talk about there? It talks about the 11. Who are the 11? 11 apostles. Judas Iscariot's dead. There's only 11. Matthias hasn't replaced him yet. Verse 14, Afterward he appeared unto the 11, as they sat at meat and upbraided them, with their, uh, with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So, they have unbelief. Now he's going to go into the signs of an apostle. Verse 15, And said unto them, Go ye unto the, all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Now that's a controversial verse too. Um, What does it take to be damned? Believing not. 
It says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. doesn't mean that there's baptismal regeneration and baptism washes away your sins because Revelation 1 says you're washed in the blood. Only the blood washes away sin. So he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Why? Baptism is the natural result or it follows up on believing. You believe, you get saved, and the first thing you should do is get baptized. It doesn't add to your salvation. It doesn't wash away sins. It doesn't cleanse you at all. You, it, it doesn't do any of those things. It is one of the two ordinances of the church. First ordinance, baptism. Second ordinance, Lord's Supper. So he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Look at these signs, verse 17. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They um, shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So, that's what is that? First Corinthians twelve or Second Corinthians twelve twelve, whichever one it was. Let me see again. Second Corinthians twelve twelve. That's the signs of an apostle. That's why you have these signs and wonders going on in the book of Acts. Here's another point: the Jews require a sign. 1 Corinthians 14.22. Tongues are for a sign. 1 Corinthians 1.22. What are tongues? They are signs. What are the signs? The signs of an apostle. Who did these signs? Apostles. And that's why you have so much confusion today. Amy Semple McPherson in the, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, she's the one that started, it was called the Azuzu, Azuzu Street Revival. And it was this tongues thing that went on. It was proven to be false, but it doesn't matter. It started what we have today. And what we have today is mass confusion, and God is not the author of confusion. But that's what you've got. So what I do, because I was in it when I first came here to Niceville, I got saved. Um, I got in the groups that were doing that, and I had to find out, do I believe the Bible, what I learned here, in this church, and what I'm telling you right now, I learned this over 40 years ago. Or, do I believe my experience? Well, my experience was, I got three girls here, three girls here, a woman in front of me, praying for me to get this gift of tongues. I'm under excruciating pressure. My mind just relieves the pressure by repeating what they're doing. So I didn't fake it. But my mind took over and did that because of the excruciating pressure that I was under. It was psychosomatic. I know that. Well, then, you know, I asked somebody about it that came to this church, and, you know, he, he said, you know, come on to church. I come to the church here. I end up joining the church here um, and learning my Bible. And in learning my Bible, I, I believe the Bible over what my experience was. And that's the key. Do you accept the truth? What is this? Signs of an apostle. Who, who did the signs and apostles but the apostles? Go down and look at verse 19 now in Mark 16. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere. What they preach? The gospel. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Now why did they have to confirm the word? Paul wasn't even saved yet. There goes 14 books of the Bible. 
John hadn't written Revelation. James hadn't written James. In fact, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John weren't written until 30 years after the death of Christ. Therefore, you don't have a New Testament. You can't be an apostle and go, well, look, if you want to check things out, then just go to the Scripture and check me out. I can say that, and I do say that. I want you to check me out. I want you to look at the Scripture, read the Scripture, and make sure that what I'm teaching is correct. However, you don't have that in the first century. Up until 100 A.D., you don't, have the, you don't have the Bible complete. So what do they have? They have signs confirming the word that they preached. You had to have it. Here it was, thousands of years, the Jews, um, they had God, they had the sacrifices, they had the temple, uh, they had all of that. And now all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene He preaches for three and a half years and everything's changing. What gives him the authority to change anything? He's God. How do you prove he's God? Well, he he healed the sick. He made the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. I mean, he did all those things confirming the word that he preached. And that's why you had all this. Listen, if God wanted to heal everybody, and that's what Christianity was all about, why do we have so many prayer requests for people that are sick? I think of Debbie. She was saying, hey, pray for me. Listen, we need to pray for her. Does does my prayer do anything? I hope so. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But that doesn't mean Debbie's going to be healed. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to say, God, be merciful to this church and heal Debbie. Heal Earl. Heal uh, Anita sick at home. And, and we look at all these others that, that, that have ailments. I think of Larry, and he's got the pain that he's walking around with all the time. And, and, and he's seen some relief from it, but not always. So what, what do you do? Listen, you pray because prayer matters. But I can't tell you that if, if Debbie comes in tomorrow and she says, Hey, I don't have any cancer. I, can't, I don't stand up here and go, Well, look at what I did. Oh, no. It's all by faith. The only, you, you know what many people would do? They'd say, Well, you know, hey, you must have had a misdiagnosis. Why? Because you've got to believe it by faith. God doesn't want you to walk by sight. He wants you to walk by faith. If He goes around here and He... And he does all these things like he did in the first century. You know what Israel uh, struggled with the most? Faith. Why? Because Jesus did the miracles. He did the wonders. And people came and followed him because of those signs and wonders. We are much more blessed having to, having to live by faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Your faith needs to be strengthened. That's what it's all about. I don't want to do anything that hurts anybody's faith. And if I teach you to walk by sight, I am destroying your opportunity for God to work in a special way in your life through faith. I love the fact that we have to walk by I've never seen Jesus. We have to walk by faith. I didn't finish my sentence because my, my, my thought pattern was so quick. My mouth got in front of my brain, as you've seen quite often in this church. Now let's change streams for a second. We're in Mark 16. When I I worked for Oxford University Press, and and I worked on, um, it was called the um, New Pilgrim Study Bible. It was a King James Study Bible that Oxford put out. 
And one of the notes that I got in there was on Mark 16. And it was, it, it was a powerful note for Bible believers. But I've got a Schofield Bible right here. How many have a Schofield Bible? Schofield, Schofield. So we're, I'm going to read the note. The note for, number, for, for one, talking about the last verses of Mark 16, and I'm trying to see where my note one starts. It starts in verse 9. So verse 9 through verse 20 is controversial as far as the world thinks. Oxford, Cambridge, all of them think it's controversial. The modern versions many times either footnote it or take it out. Here's the note that Schofield put in. The passage from verse 9 to the end is not found in the two most ancient manuscripts. The Sinaitic version, found in St. Catherine's Monastery, by the way, and the Vatican, which is in the Pope's library. And others have it with partial... And, and, I'm sorry, it's not found in the two most ancient manuscripts, the Sinaitic and the Vatican, and others have it with partial omissions and variations, but it is quoted by Irenaeus and, and Hippolytus in the 2nd or 3rd century. Now, here's what... And this isn't, note isn't even accurate. It is found in other manuscripts. But, but the point that I put in my note in the New Pilgrim Study Bible, which now is the Rock of Ages Study Bible, they bought the copyright from Oxford, now it's the Rock of Ages. There's 5,000 Greek manuscripts, approximately. 620 have the 16th chapter of Mark in them, or, or a portion of it. Five, 620. 618 have verses 9 through 20. Two do not. What are the two? Sinaiticus and Vaticanus. He called it Vatican, but it's also called Vaticanus. Those two do not. But here's what you've got to understand. The theory that Westcott and Hort came up to to change our Bibles and all the modern versions, and they came out with their own Greek text in the 1880s, was that in the 4th century, good godly men tried to strengthen the deity of Christ and strengthen the Bible, so they made changes. You know, they added verses to the Bible, and therefore they should be taken out. And it includes Mark 16, that all this was added in the 4th century. But even Schofield's note about Irenaeus and, and, and Hippolytus in the 2nd and 3rd century quoted it. How does it get added in the 4th century and it, if it didn't exist before that? It's quoted before that. And by the way, you can go to the early church fathers and you can find Matthew 16, 18. You can find Mark 7. Mark 7 uh, is in there and all the verses that are taken out in the modern versions. You can put the whole Bible together by reading what they call the church fathers in the 1st and 2nd century. Well, then how did this get added in the 4th century? The whole theory is a house of cards that comes crumbling down when all you do is study history a little bit. So, so should verses 9 through 20 be in your Bible? Absolutely. 618 of 620 manuscripts that have Mark 16 in them include these verses. Two don't, and he says the earliest manuscripts, which also is not correct. There was the Peshitta which is the oldest manuscript now found. It was found in the 19 or 1850s. 
It has, uh, it doesn't have this because it only covers part of it, but there are other older versions than the Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. I give you all that to show you, look, every now I'll get a little technical. What I want you to understand is you can imagine not having those scriptures in your Bible. But if you footnote it, you, you create doubt. That's what the New American Standard did in the 1970s. Then the NIV takes it, takes it out in later on, and then I think they put it back in in, in 2011 and so on. So, you know, it, it, it's a difficult thing. But here's the other thing. Why do we have 150 different copyrighted modern versions? It's all about money. I will tell you this, and I've told you before, the person that owns the modern versions, owns Tyndall, Zondervan, is Rupert Murdoch. He owns the modern versions companies. He owns them all. What else does he own? He owns Avon Publishers. You know what Avon Publishers published? The Satanic Bible. That's Rupert Murdoch. And you know him. And I've got, in one of my books, I go in there and I show all the holdings of Rupert Murdoch. And he owns all those modern versions. It's not about truth. How do you get 150 different copyrights? You have to have a derivative work on each one. Meaning each, each one has to be unique from the other. 150 English versions? You've got to have a mighty big thesaurus to come up with enough changes. And that's what they do. It isn't Greek translation. It isn't Hebrew translation. What it is, is a perversion of truth. You can't have... I have a book, I've, many books I've written. I have a book I've written and it has copyright on it. You can't reprint my book without my permission. You have to have so many changes or it's plagiarism and it's illegal and against the law, etc., etc. How do you have 150 different copyrights? None of them can say the exact same thing. So what's it about? It's about money. That's what it's always been about. We have languages that do not have the Word of God in it. Go and print the Bible in those languages. Use the money to translate it into those. Uh, I've been to Venezuela where they're doing the translation, 500 miles in the Amazon. And they're doing the translation. They were. They've been all kicked out of Venezuela. But when they were there, they were doing those translations. That's what the money should have gone into. But guess what? Those tribes don't have any money to give for, for a translation. It just costs money. It's not about truth. It's about confusion. So going back to um, Acts, but before you, before you get there, look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6, Jesus is healing and doing a lot of magnificent things. In John chapter 6, look at um, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed Him because they saw His miracles which He did on them that were diseased. Why did they follow Jesus in, in John 6 two? Because they saw the miracles. That's the problem. What do we have today? We have, we have most Christians do not have depth of faith. If there's anything I can ever do for anybody... The one of the most important things I can do is try to strengthen your faith. And the only way to do that is to tell you to trust your Bible. Trust the Word of God. Because this is what builds faith. Now, 
back to um, Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, look at uh, verse 13. It says, And the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. I, I want to make a point here that lost people do not feel comfortable with church in general. If the point is to make lost people feel comfortable, then you know what you're not going to be able to do? You're not going to be able to do the very thing I just did right there. Christians are going to feel uncomfortable about something, some of the things I just said about modern Bible versions. But what do you do? You preach the truth. What happens? Well, lost people might come in, they might get under conviction, but conviction isn't fun. They may never come back again. But my job, my duty, my uh, calling is to preach the gospel that Christ died for your sins. He was buried, He rose again. Trust in Him and you can be saved. That's what it's all about. And you say, well, listen, I was in a mega, mega church back 40 years ago in this city, and I never heard the gospel preached one time in that church. Not one time. And I told you, I wanted to go talk to the preacher and say, hey, are you saved? Friends of mine talked me out of it because I was just young, dumb, and ignorant and only been saved a couple of months. I mean, you know, how arrogant. However, I'd have been right in doing it. I would do it today. If I was in a church and didn't hear the gospel preached month after month after month after month, I don't preach it every Sunday morning because I don't believe the church's responsibility is to, is to try to uh, just preach the gospel. I believe what we need to do is we need to teach the Bible so that you can go out and evangelize the world because that's where the lost are supposed to be. You get them in the door, that's fine. But it's not a regular occurrence. They're not knocking, out, knocking down our door saying, hey, I want to come in and hear you preach to me and tell me I'm going to hell and I need Jesus. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. So, what we do is we give the gospel, but we focus on equipping the saints because that is who's going to get the job done. So go on and look at uh, verse 14. It says, believers were the more added to the Lord... In chapter 2, verse 47 says they were added to the church. The church is the Lord's body. That's chapter 2, verse 47 and verse 14 in chapter 5. The believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both men and women. You also have Acts eleven twenty four about the same type of thing. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that at the least... The shadow of Peter passing by uh, might overshadow some of them. Um, my, the title of my message is, let me look it up. It's uh, God's light cast a healing shadow. Because you see, Peter's walking along and it's his shadow that is able to heal people. Why? Because the light is shining on Him, which is God, that's creating the shadow. And that's an important concept to realize. Is that it's God's light that brings the power, not the shadow itself. The shadow is a result of God's light. So always, always think, when you're reading the Bible, you ought to say, well, the shadow of Peter, wow. And Paul sent handkerchiefs to people and they got healed. You know... It's different times. They were the signs of an apostle. The apostles needed that because the Word of God wasn't complete. 1 Corinthians 13 says, When that which is perfect has come, which is the 66 books of the Bible, 
That which is in part shall be done away. So verse 16, and we close. It says, There came also multitude out of the cities round about in Jerusalem, bringing sick folks. Notice that, that southern thing. Sick folks. That's why uh, y'all and all that stuff comes from the Bible. Whether you know it or not, that's, that's why... Southerners talk the way they talk. Now, I'm just going to give you a disclaimer. I was raised in Pennsylvania, Maryland. My dad was military, traveled around. I was born in Huntsville, Alabama, but somehow I did not get... I am still the Yankee, according to everybody in Alabama. I graduated from Penn State. You know, that's, that's pretty bad when I'm not an Alabama fan. But my wife is. And my daughter, our daughter is... Sons of Penn State fan. We have a divided family, but it's not like Alabama and Auburn. So, look at verse 16. There came also multitude out of the cities round about in Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. Look at those last two words. Every one. Listen, if I had, if I had the gift of healing, I wouldn't be on television doing it. I'd be in the hospital. I'd go visit Earl right now. I'd be over there with Debbie and say, Debbie, come on, let's go talk in my office. And I'd lay my hand on her and say, this is, if I had that power, man, I would heal. And it wouldn't be a show. And wouldn't be all this stuff that's going on. It would be something where I'm not trying to buy a new jet. It would be something that I would do because I love God and because He's using me. Now, what power do I have? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Live right, pray much, and you will help people. And even if you're not, pray anyway. Do the best you can. We're, not all, we're all sinners. Saved by grace if you're saved. Let's all stand together. Let's pray. Lord, do thank you for many blessings. God, lead and direct in the services this morning about to follow. I pray, Lord, that you'd have your will and way and that you would reach down and, Lord, just uh, hug each one of us in your special way with the grace and mercy and long-suffering that you have. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. You are dismissed.